You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Road. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. The machine orthodoxy continues its relentless march with more battles, more free spells, and more Phyrexian sharks. Cave Dan teams up with special guest Lawson Zandi to find the most worthy contenders for Modern and Pioneer. This is part two of our Brewer's Guide to March of the Machine. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am your host, Dan Schriever, joining you from sunny Austin, Texas. And with me again for the second time in just a few weeks, it's Lawson Zandy. Lawson, welcome back. Happy to be back. I'm in Dallas now. I know, just up the road, a little bit north. Getting ready for next year's Hunter Burton, I assume? Yep, 50, 50 weeks away. Gotta Always on the road, you know? <laughs> So, Lawson, you were on the show just a couple weeks ago. You were telling us about some of your work in Modern with the Shining Shoal pitch decks. Glad to have you back because we're kicking off our preview season. New set, March of Machines. We got a ton of cards to get through, and I would love to just pick your brain about this because you've been brewing up a storm, and I just love the way that you are thinking of these bizarre card combinations. So I'm very keen to hear your take on some of the newest stuff. That's going to be the bulk of our show today, uh, going through his previews. But before we dive in, I do just want to check in with you again. So what happened with Shining Shoal? What have you been playing? What have you learned? How do you feel about all that right now? Uh, still, still a lot to learn. These days I've been on more of a red-white version of the list. Just playing more good cards. So Ragvan, Season Pyromancer, Fable, all really powerful. Um, getting to play Season Pyromancer and Fable lets you play as many bad cards as you would like, so you get to play Chancellor again. Tried a little bit of Chalice of the Void and Chancellor of the NX, and that's a that's a hell of a drug. Um, being on the play, revealing a Chancellor, not letting them do their turn one play, and then playing a Chalice on one has been kind of nuts, but, you know, still a lot to explore there. A lot of 4-1s, you know, playing good cards, you always 3-2 Modern League, so nothing, nothing uh, groundbreaking yet. Should I be concerned that you said, I just wanted to play more good cards, and you immediately named three red cards in what we had previously thought of as like a mono-white <laughs> pitch deck? I, I'm still calling it mono-white, but uh, yeah, it, it's one of those things where I think the best cards in the format right now, um, Ragavan is something that lets you win any match of magic, no matter how bad of the you know, matchup it is, because if it's not handled, you can just have seven mana on turn four. And that's a lot of mana. Uh, Fable and Season Pyromancer let you smooth out your draws and get rid of clunky cards that are kind of uh, situation dependent. So it, it's kind of hard for those cards to ever be too terrible. Their floor is like a six or seven out of ten. So like it, it's kind of remarkable how far uh, card design is. You started off by saying, all right, I want to explore Shining Shoal without having to play Chancellor because it's not worth it to protect these bad white one drops and now i feel like you've moved away from the shiny shoal entirely but you still want to keep the chancellor to protect your red one drops 
<laughs> like the shining shoal didn't make it this far in the brewing but the chancellor has stayed so like is that the, the true sleeper card right now uh well i'm still playing shoal the thing that i realized with shoal is you cannot play a whole lot of the one drop white cards uh because pitching a esper sentinel to your shining shoal is not very impactful. So as long as you still have the Chancellors and the Amarius Calls and, you know, some Solitudes, you can still justify playing, you know, a lower white count, just because, you know, those aren't the things that you're going to be pitching to your um, uh, Shoal at the end of the day. It makes your Solitudes a little worse, but, I mean, that card's also really powerful. Also getting to play eight things that make treasure tokens, you just get to cast your seven drop white things that you have no business getting to actually play. So Yeah, I think enough of us have died to hard cast Archon of Cruelties these days that we're getting sick of seeing Fable on the other side of the table, even in modern. I think you mentioned to me the other day. <laughs> the other day you said you felt like Fable was the most powerful card in modern. And I wasn't sure if you were just like on a on a fable high at the time, or if you actually believe this. I I think it is way closer to being true than false. I remember when Ren and Six first got printed. You know, people were just trying to like think about how much value that single card got them, mm-hmm. and people kind of got to the point where they thought that it was like two and a half cards worth of value. I think Fable mm-hmm. the Mirror Breaker is basically always at least three cards worth of value. The shaman has to be dealt with, the flip side has to be dealt with, and if you're cycling one card that doesn't have any value in your hand, we've already got to three cards worth of value, and that is the worst case scenario. You know, imagine a world where the fable comes into play, the, you know, goblin shaman isn't dealt with, makes you a couple treasures, ramps you, it discards two cards that don't have any text right now, and then you flip the fable and it got to make a copy of something, like... That version of the Fable where it went unchecked is like seven cards worth of value. So it's like very, very swingy. And usually for a card to have such a high ceiling like that, its floor has to be really low. That's just not the way this card works. So that's why I've been really, really excited about it. I've been playing a bunch of brews with uh, worse cards than even the Shoal list. <laughs> um, I'm back on the Bizarre Trade Mage pile. And uh, oh boy. playing Wonder with uh, Fable has been... Just just a good time. Oh my gosh. Getting to discard Wonder to Fable to now have your Goblin Shaman have flying has been insane. Uh, also, playing Wonder in your Hollow One Vengevine deck, you just have a lot of creatures with a bunch of power that you just get to steal games that you don't deserve to be in. Um, so that's been a, a hell of a drug. Good to be back on. That's amazing. It's good to have you back. It's great to see you just throwing all these wild deck lists around in the Faithless Brewing Discord. Excited to see where this journey takes you. Speaking of the Discord, before we get to our preview section, just a quick reminder that if you're enjoying the podcast and would like to support what we do, you can do so by going to our Patreon page. You can find that at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. We have several tiers. Make a pledge at any tier you like that gets you access to our Discord, as well as other perks if you want to go higher up on the tiers. We have merch, we have playmats, we have tokens. We do have one new patron we'd like to welcome this week. That is Jeff G. Thank you very much for your support, and welcome to the Faithless family. All right, so Lawson, March of Machines, what do you think so far? I am incredibly excited. Um, this has been probably the most hyped for a set that I've been in a long time. 
Uh, I don't know if it's just because we're getting to see a bunch of cool planes. I'm a bit of a lore dork. But this has been a set that I'm very excited for. I did think at first when I kind of heard about what this set was going to be, I thought this was going to be the like pioneer um, thing that, you know, really jumpstarts the power level in that format. I feel like, though, my initial reaction to that is wrong. And I'm actually way more excited about a lot of these cards in modern than pioneer. But um, I would be happy to be wrong about that and for pioneer to get a nice shakeup. But we'll we'll have to see how that goes intriguing so are you more excited for individual cards right now or is it the mechanics so the mechanics uh morton and i talked about this on friday we have four of them battle a brand new card type incubate a new game object these are tokens that you can flip into creatures of various sizes backup which is kind of a etb trigger that lends bonuses from a powerful creature to another creature for one turn and then the returning mechanic convoke uh, so I'm very excited about Battle. Uh, I'll kind of walk in order of excitement levels. Um, battle is super exciting for me. Convoke is sweet to have more cards with that text on it. Um, I think that Backup is an interesting mechanic. And I think there is literally only one card with Incubate that I'm even interested in looking at for any reason at all. So uh, that's that's kind of where I'm at with the mechanics. Just to talk about Battle for a little bit, because I know you guys did talk about it some last time. Um, the important thing for me when it comes to battle is you need to care about value. So, you know, full on aggro decks, probably not going to be interested in this full on control decks, probably not going to be too interested in this combo decks, probably not going to be too interested in this. But if you care about being on the board, getting two for ones, you know, really grinding out your opponent, uh, these cards are going to be super, super impactful. And it's going to mean that you need to have creatures with big, uh, efficient uh, stat lines on the board, which, funny enough, you guys kind of joked about it. I don't think you guys really thought about how impactful this is for Tarmogoyf. Tarmogoyf is not only does he get a benefit from battles being in the graveyard, Hmm. but he's also the best to win a battle. Like, imagine playing a turn two Tarmogoyf after any amount of hand disruption or killing a creature. Okay. You've got a three, four, or four, five Tarmogoyf on turn two or three pretty easily. That man wins battles, and nothing interacts with him in the combat stuff on turn two or three, other than basically exactly the domain Kavu in modern. Um, but, I mean, you can play both of them. Like, you can play a kind of domain beatdown deck. And instead of having to play terrible cards like Wild Nacatl and Lightning Helix, you could throw in some sweet battles. Um, Tribal Flames is a one-card blow-up target battle. So there's like a lot of ways that that deck specifically can kind of jump from this kind of awkward uh, creature deck to actually some grindy kind of Jun Fest. So pretty, pretty excited about that overall. So there's a lot in what you just said. I just want to unpack it a little bit more because I feel like Mort and I did not quite get our heads around this card type yet. I mean, it's so new. What I'm hearing you say is, okay, yes, mid-range decks that are on the battlefield with creatures, that's important. You're saying that a play pattern that we should be looking for is get a big creature down first, a Tarmogoyf, a Territorial Kavu, something of that nature, and then every battle is like super explosive because you can cast it later for the spell effect and you can immediately trigger it if you want to, you know, 
play your whatever that one that makes them sack a creature. They sack something, and then you just immediately flip the battle. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think that the battles are worse when your opponent can defend them and have, you know, a plan. I think it is like a pretty big swing if you can play the battle, get its effect, and then immediately flip it. And the most efficient way to do that will likely be just having creatures already in play that are efficient and big. So my three main ones that I was looking at in modern that can do this are the Territorial Kavu, Tarmogoyf, and um, Death Shadow. Uh, Death Shadow is a little awkward because he does, you know, have a little bit of a restriction on how early he can come in. But I mean, those three cards are, you know, big stat lines, big beat downy. And other than the Kavu have all come from decks that are very mid-rangey. You know, there are there are Jun Shadow lists from Magic's history that are pretty excited about the idea of getting on the board, messing with your opponent's um, threats. So those are those are all homes that I would be looking at initially. Scion of Draco, I think we could put in there. I mean, you mentioned the territorial, you mentioned the Kavu already, but the Scion has seen play in some non-Zoo decks. Fairly versatile card, very hard to block, and a lot of battles we've seen only cost two mana, and they only take four damage to flip them. So, one way in which we may be underrating a battle, and I'm still not sure if this is true, but you only have to pay a few mana for the battle. And then you always have the option of unlocking all this extra value. So even though we may be like telling ourselves how we don't want to spend the time attacking it, the fact is the total amount of value on the cardboard is huge for a very small mana cost, right? It costs you time. It costs you attacking steps, almost like a, like a saga that flips into a creature or like a creature on suspend where you know, the, the upfront mana cost was not much, and you get a lot for that mana, as long as you're willing to wait for it or work for it. Yeah, so, um, you know, just to jump into a card to kind of use as an example, um, and I don't believe you guys talked about this one last week. I think it uh, came out literally the day after y'all posted, but um, Invasion of Regetha. Uh, it's red and two for a um, battle with um, five defense. Uh, whenever it enters the battlefield, it does four damage to another battle or opponent and one damage to up to one target creature. And then whenever you defeat the battle, uh, you get a 4-4 human monk with prowess. Uh, if a creature, or sorry, if a non-creature source you control would deal damage to a creature, battle, or opponent, it deals that much damage plus two. This, I think, is a perfect way of kind of measuring the cost of fighting one of these battles. Because you guys did bring up last week that, you know, punching the battle is not free. Um, that is damage that you could be doing to your opponent's face. The invasion, by costing three mana and automatically dealing four to your opponent, if we're not interested in blowing up this battle, that's fine. We've already dealt four damage to the opponent. If we are interested in getting the invasion of Regatha to flip, though, um, we're not really paying that much because it's done four, we're hitting it for five, we're kind of letting our opponent gain one life to get this backside. But this backside is very, very impactful for burn strategies. So it kind of compensates you once you've done the work. So, um, you know, there there is definitely a cost to these things, but I think that uh, overall, most of them, uh, unless you are a pure aggro deck, you are pretty excited about flipping. A whole card type of Fable of the Mirror Breakers, perhaps. <laughs> Wildly underrated cards, is that what I'm hearing? 
or just widely versatile and useful cards? I think they are very hard to understand. I I will say, I think the ones that have four defense are infinitely easier to flip mm. than the ones with five. I, yeah, I agree. The difference in four and five is not one in this case, but probably like two or three, because you're going to have to have multiple creatures attack it. You're going to have to use multiple effects on it. So you're not actually using four damage, possibly to get it flipped over, but you're going to be converting a larger amount. So... You know, but th- that's all stuff we're going to have to learn from actually playing with these things. Yeah, very little can deal five to any target. Um, it's basically just Shrapnel Blast, Tribal Flames, and then the new card, uh, Render Inert, which is specifically for killing battles. And unplayable. No. <laughs> Ouch. Okay. Breaking my heart already. <laughs> well, we're going to see a lot more battles in today's show, so let's just jump into the cards. Mord and I started at the bottom of the curve and worked our way up, and we didn't get that far. We only made it as far as, I think, Ren and Realmbreaker. We'll start again at the bottom, because we have some new cheap ones that I'm very excited about, but we'll see if Lawson and I can get to some of the more expensive stuff today. But I'm going to start off small. Let's talk about the Omen Hawker. This is a blue one-drop, single blue mana, Cephalid Advisor, 1-1 creature. It has the ability Tap, Add, Colorless, and Blue. So that's two mana total, one is colorless, one is blue. Spend this mana only to activate abilities. Activate abilities. So these are things that have a a colon in the card text. Sell me. I need need to know, why are we we excited about the most uh, (laughs) constrained mana dork of all time? I'm I'm listening. Are you not a Thran Turban fan, (laughs) Lawson? It's two mana every turn. This is like a soul ring on a blue creature. What's not to love? This is probably my favorite card, at least in my top five favorite cards. All my favorite cards are blue in this set, and they're all cheap little ticky-tacky things like this. But here's a few sequences you might be interested in. Turn one, Omen Hawker. Turn two, Reckoner Bankbuster. What format are we in? Are we in Standard? Are we in Pioneer? Are we in Modern? I'm not sure. But that's an amazing sequence. And I'm saying this having spent a lot of time trying to make Tezzeret Betrayer of Flesh use that static text, right? The static is that you get a free activation every turn of an artifact. And part of the issue with all those decks is that the more you lean into that effect, the more you're like, Tezzeret better come up fast, and better be good, otherwise I'm not going to have time to activate all these random abilities. Omenhawker gives you a bunch of access to that effect, so we can kind of answer the question, will I actually have access to the mana for this Reckoner Bankbuster line, or this uh, Incubator line, for example? And I think now you can with the Hawker. So that's one option. Option two, if you don't like Tezzeret, play Omenhawker, turn one, turn two, cycle a Shark Typhoon. That's a 2-2 Shark. You drew a card, and it's just going to get better the later in the game you go. You can look into modern, right? You can use Omenhawker to activate your Urza Sagas. It activates your Elvish Reclaimers. It activates your Fiend Artisans, which finds the Elvish Reclaimer, which finds the Saga, right? It pays for the Nykthos activation. Uh, it's a cheap blue creature for Convoke. It works with Unctus, right? It's a tapper for that. David is interested in maybe comboing with Freed from the Real. Freed from the Real mm. allows you to go infinites uh, as long as you have a creature that taps for a blue plus something else. That's exactly what Omenhawker does. Now you'll only be able to spend the colorless mana on something like uh, Walking Ballista Pumps, for example. But that's part of the problem to solve. 
there's a ton of stuff that Omen Hawker does that supports a lot of strategies that like haven't had the pieces yet. Like I actually was going very deep on training grounds when I first saw this because like training grounds works best with things that activate for two or three mana total, and mm-hmm. you just you just need more access to that effect more quickly. Biomancer's familiar is not it, but maybe Omen Hawker is. All right, I am I am more interested now. I feel like I'm pouring my heart and soul out for you. <laughs> I am more interested. I've, Somebody... I've pulled it out of the trash can. Um, I will say I do like the fact that it plays well with swords as well. Um, you know, two mana for activation costs does let you equip all of the sword of X and Ys. So I, I will say I am a little hesitant. Um, if this thing was colorless, I would be really excited about it being able to um, play it and activate Urza Saga on turn two would be super, super sweet. I'm just a little worried, especially in the older formats, having a one-mana one-one. I I have tried to play Llanowar Elves many times in these Fury formats, and uh, it, it goes as well as you think it would. Um, so I'm a little worried about it outside of Pioneer. I do like the um, Bank um, Buster... Uh, combination. Uh, a little worried about playing a kind of clunky card in the Bankbuster decks. Usually those decks are just a pile of these are the cards that are good in these colors. But there is there's more to this card than than clunky one drop because it is it, it is a soul ring esque thing if you know we don't have our glasses on. So it is um it, it's it's got something. I'll I'll say that. Alright. I'm gonna keep pitching you on it tomorrow maybe. You haven't heard the last of this card for sure. <laughs> But we must move on to another blue one drop that I'm very excited about. <laughs> this one plays great with the Omen Seeker Lawson. It's the Captive Weird. Captive Weird. Single blue creature weird. It's a 1-3 defender. You can transform it using this new Phyrexian activation. So with three generic and one red Phyrexian mana. Allows you to transform the Captive Weird at sorcery speed. And when you do, it becomes... The 3-3 Completed Conjurer, a Phyrexian weird. When this creature transforms into Completed Conjurer, exile the top card of your library, and you have until the end of your next turn to play that card. So even if you're spending all your mana to tap out to flip the Captive Weird into the Completed Conjurer, you still get your next turn to like play the land or play whatever it was. This card by itself is not going to do it, but... I will just point out it works great with Yeoman Seeker. It works great with Training Grounds, or if you prefer Zerda the Dawn Waker, or Biomancer's Familiar, depending on what format you're in. You will only have to pay one mana to flip this and two life, so that becomes basically a two mana total 3-3 that draws a card. I'm definitely more in on this card than the Omen Hawker. Um, I do think this card is also interesting as just like kind of an efficient early game um thing to put on the board as it one three with defender is kind of annoying to get through for the first couple of turns and then once it flips it's both getting you some card advantage and now a three three like this thing i could see in a you know blue red deck just being a kind of efficient way to get on the board early you know keep our card advantage rolling i don't know what the other 56 cards look like in the deck but this one this one i am a little more excited about for pioneer yeah, it's a great way to start your Convoke mana base, if we can call it that. Lead on some one drop, like the Captive Weird. Maybe your next card is like a, I don't know, like a Baral Chief Compliance, and then you're trying to Convoke out some stuff really cheaply. Actually, we're going to see some Convoke stuff in just a minute here. 
Absolutely. And I think that's a good point to make um, and kind of talk about Convoke just for a second. Uh, the the secret that I have found for making Convoke playable in formats past is your creatures are better at Convoking the worse they are at pointing removal spells at. So that heuristic basically just means you can't play creatures that are just the most powerful, efficient things on rate because those are the things that are already getting um, the removal spells pointed at them. They're getting blown up and you're not getting to um, really get their value from the Convoke side of things. So I would definitely suggest if you are planning on Convoking, having some creatures that are a little annoying to target one-for-one removal at. Annoying because they give you some extra value or annoying because your opponent just feels embarrassed to remove them, right? Like it's still a one-for-one to kill the captive weird, but they're going to feel bad. They're going to feel bad that they spent their fatal push on a captive weird. The next card here, Surge of Salvation. To me, it looks exciting for modern. Curious to hear your take on it, Lawson. So tell us about the Surge. I would love to. I, I am also very excited about this card. Uh, one white mana instant you and permanents you control gain hexproof until end of turn. Prevent all damage that black and or red sources would deal to creatures you control this turn. Uh, thank you so much for letting me talk about the weird white protection spell. I feel like I've played <laughs> a lot of them recently. Um, this card, I think, is absolutely insane. Um, so a couple important things to note about this. Uh, one, it's all of the damage sources that black and red things would deal this turn. So. Uh, that's not just removal spells, that's not just combat, it's, it's going to be both of them. So this is a kind of a way to protect against fury and anger of the gods and just straight up combat damage. Like you can you can block their fury with your centaur courser and then just be like, alright, surge of salvation, my guys don't take damage, kill your thing. So that's pretty exciting. And then the other thing to note about this, it says you and permanents you control gain hexproof. Yes. It does not reference the color um, of the thing. So this is also a protection spell against Force of Vigor. It's a protection spell against, um, you know, other destroy effects that aren't in black or red that target. Um, so this is something that I think that all of the um, uh, like Hammer Time decks are going mm-hmm. to be incredibly excited about. Um, this, this is a card that I think is really, really phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, that Force of Vigor protection is absolutely huge. That alone feels like it has the potential to, like, shift things in the modern meta. Like, it's going to be an incremental shift, but making Force of Vigor worse, making Fury worse. This is actually one of the best cards to stop the Grief scam if you're on the play. Like, this just embarrasses a turn one Grief because you just play it, and suddenly they can't even target you. So if they already cast the Grief, they've already two-for-one themselves, they won't get to look at your hand. That Fae and Death that we're going to play won't get them a card either. So it's, it's kind of like a main deckable Veil of Summer, if I can go that far. Although I don't know if it's going to see main deck play. But if this comes to pass, like this is a devastating card against Rakdos Scam. Devastating against Force of Vigor. And it's it's got the side benefit of like, Veil of Summer already does let you stop that game interaction from the Scam deck. But it's so worse, so much worse to draw later in the game because, you know, if they've got a 4-3 grief in play and they're just beating you down with it, they're beating you down with it. And now you've drawn this card that literally doesn't have any text. If you draw Search of Salvation later on, perfect. Chump block with your um, Stoneforge Mystic and your Thalia and then cast Surge of Salvation. And now my guys live. And, you know, even if you keep your guy alive with another Undying effect, I now have Hexproof. So you can't get a card out of me this time. So... 
Uh, this this card I'm very, very excited about. Would it be fair to call this the best modern card we've seen so far from the set? Um, no, actually. I think I think you guys talked about Invasion of Tarkir last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that that is probably um, the best one so far, oh, wow. I believe. Really? Um, is Tarkir the one that lets you discard lands? Whichever one that one is. That one is super sweet, but... No, we haven't gone to that one yet, actually. <laughs> oh, okay. We'll talk about that one later then, because I'm very excited about that one. Tarkir is the two-mana shock that if you deal five to it, you get the dragon that shocks things. Oh, no thank you. Okay. All right. Next up, a couple of Convoke spells. Uh, I'll just read them together, because they're very similar cards. One is black, one is blue. Pile on. Three and a black instant with Convoke. Destroy target creature or planeswalker and surveil two. So it's a hero's downfall variant. It's instant speed and it has convoke and it gets you this bonus surveil two. For your consideration, also, I will mention temporal cleansing three in a blue sorcery with convoke. The owner of target non-land permanent puts it into their library second from the top or on the bottom. So the controller will get the choice They either bury it a little bit or they just put it away. Obviously, the blue version is going to be clunkier than the black one. It's a common versus a rare, but for blue players, for crab vine players, we're very excited about the temporal cleansing. I'll just throw that out there right now. But they're very similar cards in how they're costed and constructed. So walk me through this, Lawson, like, as a Confoke expert, how would you assess these cards? I, I love that new title. <laughs> um, so Pylon is one that I am pretty excited about for Pioneer and Standard. My general heuristic a lot of times for Convoke cards is if you need it to cost two less from the Convoke, uh, you're asking a little bit uh, too much from the card, I think. Pylon, if if I'm having to spend black and two for this, I'm plenty happy with that. Uh, So that means that it's got a lot of um, ability to be much better than that. Uh, I I am imagining, you know, getting to play a two drop and then pile on and being very happy with that and that's that's all the box i need to check to make this card playable um you know late game you're going to get into a board stall and it you know very likely for you to get to play a four drop and then play pile on for one mana like that's that's something that is like very game breaking so very excited about that is it the surveil too that makes you okay with paying three for this or is it just like in a in a deck that wants a removal spell i don't really care how much it costs as long as it gets the job done. Yeah, mostly mostly just when you need a removal spell like this, um, three mana is kind of the bar for you to need to clear. Terminate is seeing more play in modern these days than ever before because there are things that are big and large and need to die. Um, so this this is an effect that you can't play. Um, you know, Surveil 2 is nice, but if, if it didn't have it, I wouldn't be, you know too sad but i'm i'm plenty happy to let it be here so the blue one the temporal cleansing for me this card is a blue assassin's trophy right it looks bad right because you know putting things into the library doesn't sound as good but it is just a clean one for one um so let's just get that out of the way up top how much is that effect going to be worth well at two mana they would never print a card like this at two mana. It's just too powerful. So with three mana is actually a fair rate for a card like that. Temporal spring for a boomer like you, Lawson. <laughs> but you can get this for much cheaper, right? You start on the Captive Weird or whatever else. I mean, the reason I mentioned Crabvine is because that deck gets all kinds of junkers into play. 
right? The Hedron Crabs don't participate in combat, neither does the Merfolk Secret Keeper. The Grave Crawlers often can't attack, the Narc Amoebas don't really do that much. So, plenty of ways to cast a Temporal Cleansing for mostly free, and this is a deck where we're struggling to find a catch-all card that can take out a Leyline, take out a Dothy Voidwalker, take out a Sanctifier and Vec. This is the first card that we've seen that could actually do that effectively in Salt-Eye Colors while also hitting the other stuff that we need to hit. So it's going to be a, a good sideboard option specifically for a deck like that. But I'm curious if there's a wide world ahead of us. Like, what if this card is just good? Like, what if I have a Convoke deck using a lot of the new tools we get in this set, but this is just my go-to interactive spell? I mean, it's, it's a great tempo play. It's a clean removal. It's one for one. I, I will say, I do think this card is absolutely phenomenal in Crabvine. Being able to remove problematic permanents from play, and specifically in that deck in particular, if your opponent puts it second from the top of their library, you play Merfolk Secret Keeper if you need that card not to get drawn, or you have a, a Rune Crab already in play. So you like you can just target your opponent those mil, mil spells if you know that the scary thing is there. So I do think this is a perfect fit for that. Uh, I will say this card is much worse because it is a sorcery. It is yes. Convoke spells. Being sorceries is always a little awkward, especially now that battles exist. Um, it's nice to get to have blockers up and able to defend yourself and now these battles. So committing to, you know, I need to deal with this thing right now, tapping out is a little scary. But of course, like blue removal that can hit anything at pretty cheap, like there, there's going to be some costs, you know, that's kind of why we play this game. So I'm, I'm excited about this, though. Yeah, one weird thought I had last night, and granted, I was very tired at the time, but I was like, we've never really seen a deck that rewards me for having two Electromancers in play, right? Like, one Electromancer is fine, but, like, do we benefit from two Goblin Electromancers? And now with Convoke, you get two of these, and this this thing's so free, baby! It's a free Terminate! <laughs> free Assassin's Trophy. Alright, I won't go too far down that hole yet. We'll wait. And we'll move on. Getting down now into the two drops, I see an invasion here. Invasion of Mercadia. It's one and a red for a siege with four defense. When Invasion of Mercadia enters a battlefield, you may discard a card. If you do, draw two cards. So that's a tormenting voice. The backside is a 3-3 creature, Chiron Flamerite. It has the activated ability two and a red. Tap, discard a card to create two 1-1 one, one blue and red elemental creature tokens. And creatures you control get plus one, plus O, oh, and gain haste until end of the turn. Nice little callback there to the spell shaper mechanic from Mercadia. So something like this, Lawson, that has just like a basic effect at slightly below rate, but ever so slightly, and then the option to get this random creature later. What do you think about this? This one I am very excited about. One, I think a lot of people have come to learn that the red and one enchantment um, that we recently received that lets you discard a card and then give things haste. That card plays way better than it looks. Um, and I think this card plays kind of similar to it. Of course, it has the exact same end of the battlefield effect. And the backside does give you an opportunity to also um, give creatures haste. So, you know, there is a lot of similarities there. Uh, this card is just a little bit better on its backside for being grindy, but worse at doing something super explosive like 
you know, reanimating an Archon and then giving it haste and then attacking. This this will be a little too clunky to do all of those things. But I, I am interested in playing this card specifically with um, the Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Being able to give your flipped Fable haste is something that is pretty exciting. So I could definitely see a world where these two play well together. Um, being a, another thing lets you kind of loot things into your graveyard or lets you also, um, you know, play uh, from both zones well. So you're actually envisioning that we would activate the ability of the 3-3 Kyren Flame rate on the backside. In a perfect world, yes. Okay. Yeah, so I mean the comparison, Invasion of Mercadia versus Bitter Reunion, I think that's a good place to start. And it's a good reminder that the effect is more powerful than it may seem. Although I do think in all the scenarios you're describing, the Bitter Reunion still wins for specifically the haste interactions. But for getting a free 3-3, we can consider this. Next card up, Dusk Legion Duelist, one and a white vampire soldier. It's a 2-2 with vigilance. Whenever one or more plus one plus one counters are put on Dusk Legion Duelist, draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. So it does not specify how you're supposed to get these plus one plus one counters. Backup is a, a mechanic in set that can do it, but for constructed, we're allowed to like cast a wider net. Perhaps you want to do Luminarch Aspirant and get a free plus one plus one and a card draw every turn. It's a vampire, so maybe you're looking at Soren Imperious Bloodlord, right? You play Soren minus two, get a big creature in play, but then after that you're plus oneing, and that spits out plus one plus one counters, drawing a card every time. This one looks pretty good to me. I also have only good things to say about this card. Um, I do think it's an interesting point that uh, it isn't a human, sadly, so it doesn't get to benefit from Thalia's Lieutenant. But it is a soldier. Um, Luminarch Aspirant is also a soldier. There was also a creature from um, the Brothers War that did a pretty similar effect that was also a soldier. So, you know, there are a few cards in Magic's history and modern that do benefit specifically the soldier creature type. So there is definitely, I think, some room to explore there. It also plays uh, kind of well with the graft land. There's a common to play tapped land that um, has graft one. So you <laughs> could play this immediately, put the counter on it and draw a card the turn it came into play, which I do think is a pretty cute interaction. Don't know if it's that good, but. I see a vigilance there. So now I'm like, venerated Loxodon? Am I supposed to just convoke the plus one plus one counter onto this? Or is that just too far? I mean, vigilance is not the best keyword for this kind of creature. Um, I did just check, by the way. I had to uh, do a quick little search. One of the uh, creatures that I was thinking of was Sen's Tactician. It's a card from Morningtide. Uh, one white, <laughs> one one, tap, put a plus one, plus one counter on target soldier, and then each creature you control the plus one, plus one counter on it can block an additional creature. Just kind of a cool thing that you could grab off of, like a uh, Ranger Captain of Eos, um, which is also a soldier, um, so it lets you have kind of a, a one-drop that is tutorable, efficient, quote-unquote. Um, so, I don't know. I think there's definitely some room to explore around it. I've been, for a while, actually looking to try to find out a Field Marshal um, deck in Modern. They, I have not been able to find it yet, but, um, you know, much to explore. Sens Tactician, the one-drop Kithkin Soldier. That one, indeed. 
Field Marshal the, the three mana Soldier Lord. I, I do not recall what it does. Gives the Anthem effect. Uh, so it's an Anthem effect for soldiers and gives them first strike. So you get to be the, the king of the combat step. Uh, you just have to be willing to play Lords uh, originally printed in Cold Snap. So do with that information <laughs> what you will. All right, moving on to Ozolith Shattered Spire, one in a green legendary artifact. If one or more plus one plus one counters would be placed on an artifact or creature you control, that many plus one are put on it instead. So that's a hardened scales effect, but this is on a two mana legendary artifact. Has an activated ability, one in a green tap, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature or artifact you control, activate sorcery speed only. And for some reason it has cycling too, I have no idea why. Do we want more of this effect? Are we willing to pay two for it? Or is this just, you know, too late to the party? We have enough of this. We'll play creatures if we want more of this effect. Yes, we want more of this effect. No, this is not the one we want. Um, it is a little sad that it is called the Osleth Shattered Spire, but is like not remotely close to what Osleth is doing and costs twice as much. You know, if, if you've ever played against the Hardened Scales deck, the moment an Ozolith comes into play, it feels like your opponent has made double the amount of counters because it, you know, all of the things with modular are both moving their counters and counting it here. Like, you know, that that interaction's crazy. The way this Ozolith works is instead of doubling your counters, you get one more, uh, which is worse and costs twice as much. So I'm like very not interested in this. This activation is super slow and clunky. There's, you know, a million and one things that could do this at um, you know, more efficient cost. Agreed. Lastly, among the two drops, we have Deep Root Wayfinder. One in a green Merfolk Scout, a 2-3 creature. So not great stats, 2 mana, 2-3. Its ability says whenever Deep Root Wayfinder deals combat damage to a player or battle, surveil one, then you may return a land card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. So that is pretty attractive trigger right if you can ever pull this off you're you're getting card advantage and ramp just for dealing some damage on the other hand it's a two mana two three i'm, I'm gonna say something and this is gonna scare you but this card to me feels like ren and six um what <laughs> so much of modern really? interaction um, when it comes to creatures, also targets Planeswalkers. And I am, I, I, I'm not saying this card will replace Ren and Sixes from decks everywhere, uh, but I do think that decks that do play Ren and Six in it already might want to play two Deep Root Wayfinder outside of exactly creativity for obvious reasons. But I, I do think that this card has a much higher ceiling than Ren and Six, um, being a basically rampant growth every turn. Uh, before we, you know, even go down the, the route of exploring, you know, Field of Ruining um, every single turn or Ghost Quarter or any of those kind of things, um, this card has to be dealt with immediately or the game will just end. So I am I'm very, very excited about this card. It might be a Merfolk, but I don't think its home will be Merfolk decks mostly. Okay, so you're, you're not seeing the downsides. You're seeing like a green Ragavan with huge upsides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, something that I've been uh, having to kind of explain to people from playing a lot of the Chancellor piles is if you have every creature in your deck be an automatic kill on sight, 
eventually your opponents don't have things to kill your creatures on site. You know, it's been a pretty typical play pattern of turn one Ragavan. Oh, that has to get bolted. Uh, Stoneforge Mystic. Oh, that has to get bolted. All right. Uh, play Fable. Oh, that Shaman Token's got to die. And then they just run out, you know, eventually they, they will not have it all. So having yet another thing that has to be dealt with immediately is something that I am interested in, um, in, in modern generically. And the two drop slot specifically has been uh, kind of hit or miss recently. Okay. So, I mean, David has his evaluation for Pioneer, where I thought this would have a more natural fit. It's harder to put lands in the graveyard there, so the trigger will not be as reliable. But the stats are better on Pioneer. I had not seriously considered it for Modern, but I like what you're saying. That makes total sense. Just make him have it again and again. And I think that's a good clue as to like what kind of deck we should be looking to put the Deep Wayfinder in first. Like, don't don't build around it as like your one big thing that's gonna carry you every game. But just like add it to the team of must kill creatures. All right, from there we move on to the three mana cards. We have some legendary team-ups. Oh, boy. Lawson, tell us about Errant and Giada. Uh, sure. Uh, first of all, I don't know where Errant or Giada are from. Usually I know the lore. Um, I think they're from Capenna, it looks like, just from their kind of artwork. But um, if, if I'm wrong, please don't yell at me in the comments. Um, it's a blue and white for a, a blue, white, and one for a 2-3 flash flying human angel. You may look at the top card of your library anytime. And you may cast spells with flash or flying from the top of your library. This card, I do think, has some legs specifically in Pioneer. I think the only awkward part of this card is it looks like, if you just were to read the text on it, that it would be the best card ever in a um, Spirits deck. Mm -hmm. All of the Spirits have flying. They all have, a lot of them have flash, like, there's a lot going on here that I would be excited about. And then the creature type is human angel. And so that is a little awkward that your, you know, pretty tribal folk focused deck has a realm uh, walker in it. That is not the tribe color or tribe type. It is the color. So it is a little bit easier to play, but really, really kind of clunky card. I think. From what I've seen so far, Spiros players, are not too excited. They feel like they already have Cemetery Illuminator if they want this effect. So I guess that's probably true. I mean, there's there's plenty of options there. Mm -hmm. Angels players are a little more excited. Angels so far has been mono white, usually splashing green for collected company. But if you had blue mana, you could also play Linvala, the three mana one from Zendikar. Errant and Giada also collected company eligible. So this could definitely replace the um, the 2-1 flying cantrip card. I forget the name of it, Lawson, but you know, mm. the one that terrorized Limited for a while. Yeah. So obvious homes there. If you're going to go into a format like Modern, we've lamented how Slither Wisp costs black, black, blue for a long time. <laughs> it's like the one thing holding that card back is that you just can't do black, black, blue. Nevertheless, it, it's happened, right? Someone, I think, made top eight of an RCQ a couple weeks back with a Slitherwisp Slither Wisp deck, and you're just looking to play, you know, your Flash Elementals, your Leyline Bindings, and just hope that Slitherwisp gets you some cards throughout the game. So Arrington Giada may be a better version of Slitherwisp. Maybe not. Like, it doesn't stack quite as well, but uh, it hurts your mana a lot less. 
Um, I don't know. It, it is legendary, so it does stack much worse. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I don't think I have any words for Arrington Giada for uh, modern. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, I, uh, I, I don't. I, I can't hold my breath that long, so. You know, I, I would I would look at it for pioneer or commander, and not a whole lot else. Sorry, Aaron. Next card up, Guardian of Girapur, another angel, two and a white angel, three three flying. When Guardian of Girapur enters the battlefield, exile up to one other target creature or artifact you control. Return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. So a slow blink, we would call that. I was very excited about this. I like typed up all this little hype for it. And then I read it more closely and realized it doesn't have flesh and I felt very foolish. So it does not have flesh. This is, this is a charming prince that is a three, three flying angel. Is that good enough? No. Um, so <laughs> I, I think a, yes, it doesn't have flash, which is awkward. Also, it doesn't flicker the battles, which it feels like it really should. So, looking at this card i'm like you know it, it reminds me a lot of flicker wisp but it doesn't um it can't target our opponent's things it can't um there's a lot of things that it can't do and the thing that we're getting instead of all of that flexibility is two more toughness which is is i would rather have two toughness than not have that toughness of course but you know overall it's just like not something that i'm this does not get me excited in, in any way, you know? What about the angel type line? I mean, the angel's deck does rely on ETB triggers. They're not the cleanest of ETBs. Like, they're not like ETB draw a card, but they're ETB gain life, and then you turn the life into advantage with a Righteous Valkyrie or a Bishop of Wings. Yeah. Fits in the Collected Company curve. Okay, still not biting. What about... I'm just playing a big value blink deck and I have Yorian companion again, we're in pioneer and this sets up that uh, endless Yorian loop, you know, because the Yorian comes back on end step and then this thing is hidden for the entire opponent's turn and it comes back on their end step. That is a little interesting. Um, I will say um, before you accidentally blow yourself out with this and a collected company deck, um, since this is only able to target your things, uh, you can't really grab this um, at the end of turn off of Collected Company and get a cool flicker effect off because then whatever you flicker won't be able to be around for your combat next turn. Oh. And if you're going to try to, you know, get this value, um, you do actually have to walk into like Supreme Verdict and other Wrath effects because you actually have to collect a company during your opponent's second main phase. And then after you resolve your collective company, your opponent gets priority again. So if you were going to try to do something tricky there, um, there's not a spot between second main phase and end step for you to do anything cool like that. So that's a great catch. And as a otherworldly gaze, Norcomiba prize amalgam player, I would like to formally welcome the angels players into the second main phase club. On your second main phase, we cast our signature spell. <laughs> Otherworldly gaze for me, collect a company for you. All right, I will not talk about blinking Kalia Zenith Seeker. We need to move on. But you can do that. You can do it. <laughs> you can. Continue. The next card up. The 10th member of the sword cycle. This one is blue and black. A sword of once and future. Lawson, I'm going to turn it over to you. 
I have been playing so many swords recently. I was so excited to see that we got the 10th, the final sword, pro blue, pro black. You cannot bounce my creature. You cannot terrorize him. <laughs> what do we get for this value? And it is the most disappointing sword trigger ever. Oh what? my goodness. Okay, so three mana to play, two to equip, pro uh, black, pro blue, plus two, plus two. Uh, whenever you deal combat damage, you get a surveil too. Then you may cast an instant or sorcery with mana value two or less from your graveyard without paying its mana costs. Uh, exile this spell. I mean, it's fine, it, but man, the decks that are playing swords um, don't usually play a ton of one and two mana things. Mm. Uh, so this is like the worst sword ever to go grab off of your Stoneforge Mystic. And then in addition to that, uh, it can just miss like the, the general heuristic for hitting your opponent with a sword is, OK, we hit our opponent with a sword and we always get one card value worth of effect from hitting our opponent. You know, Fire and Ice literally draws you a card. Frontier and Forge um, exiles the top two and you can play those cards this turn. The black white one picks up a creature like they all in some way add to the board state or they get you a card value immediately. Uh, sword and once in future might do it for you once but probably not in the future um you know it's just like <laughs> it is it is well, so well so clunky i am so disappointed in it and yes i've been holding that in all week well i'll be here all week <laughs> <laughs> so i'm hearing you say that if i'm excited about the free casting of an instant or sorcery that this sword of once in future offers that's not going to be any existing sword deck. There's no deck that currently wants a sword that actually meets that condition. Correct. And it's probably not worth building around just based on. Yeah. It's like, it, it, this, this is not the one chief. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting because over time they've acknowledged that swords are not that powerful and they're actually fine for standards. So the, the last two swords are legal in pioneer, but we haven't seen much from the red green sword in pioneer. And I, I imagine it'll be the similar for the blue black sword. Any interest in this next card here, Vuldaren thrill seeker. It's two and a red for a vampire warrior. One, one with backup two. backup means that when this creature enters, you put two plus one plus one counters on target creature that can be itself if you want but it's better to put it on something else and if you put it on something else that creature gains the following text until the end of the turn and the following text is a special ability pay one and sacrifice this creature to have it deal damage equal to its power to any target yeah i'm in i'm super in for this card i mean back up to like I, the the floor on this card is a three mana three three that you can pay one and sack it to deal three damage to target thing. So, you know, it's like, you know, at the very worst in a lot of ways going to be a like three mana blood type harvester. And in the best case scenarios, like you can um, play this thing. And if your opponent did not leave blockers back for your one creature randomly, You'll get to put two counters on it, hit your opponent for four or five points of damage, and then sack that creature for five points of damage. Like this, this card will just kill people who are not prepared for it. And I am very, very interested in trying to do that in multiple formats. So this is one that I'm kind of excited about. Do you see like splinter twin combos with this and like a Yargle or something? So I'm less interested in it for things like that. 
I think that it is more interesting as a cool card for Unearth and Imperial Recruiter. Hmm. I think an interesting thing to keep in mind about all of the backup cards is that their power and toughness are low for what they actually are. Like, this card is at the very worst a 3-3, but because it only has one power, you can get it off of things um, that, you know, care about power from your library in the case of Imperial Recruiter. Um, so this is this is something that I would be kind of interested in as kind of like a one-of um, tech thing that you can grab. These backup cards also play really well with Court of Calling um, because they are um, Enter the Battlefield effects that can really, really mess with combat. Uh, we haven't seen a Court of Calling beatdown deck in Modern in a long, long time, um, basically since Birthing Pod was in the format. But this is the kind of effect that can actually like jump a, a strategy like that back into the format. Yeah, it's a very versatile effect, versatile creature, and not obvious to me like what the deck would look like. And what I'm hearing you say is it's going to be something very new and very mm-hmm. creative. That's exciting. All right, I'm going to skip down a little bit. Still in the three drops, we have Pelucranos Reborn. Pelucranos Reborn, green, 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 legendary creature Hydra. 4-5 Reach. You can transform Pelucranos by paying 6 Antiphyrexian white. So that's 6 and 2 life, or 6 plus a white. When you do that, you get a 6-6 reach lifelink Phyrexian Hydra called Pelucranos Engine of Ruin. And the engine tips us off that we're getting a Worm Coil Engine style creature on the backside. So when Pelucranos Engine of Ruin or another non-token Hydra you control dies, you get a 3-3 green and white Phyrexian Hydra token with reach and a 3-3 green and white Phyrexian Hydra creature token with lifelink. So all of your Hydras become Worm Coil tokens at that point. Green, green, green. This is already signaling, okay, put it in green devotion, play land or elf. In some ways, like that's the only deck that can really consider things like this. Unless I'm mistaken. What do you think, Lawson? So this is this card that I am pretty excited about. The main reason to be excited about this card is it's a four mana, or sorry, it's a three mana four five. And that's a lot of text for a pretty cheap cost. And then the, you know, flipping it over into Worm Coil Engine is incredibly powerful. And then I I did want to bring this up because this is a kind of cute interaction. There are a lot of Hydras in Magic's history that are an X cost. Um, so a good recent example is like a Shivan a Devastator. Red X for a 0-0 Dragon Hydra with flying haste and comes into play with X counters on it. If you okay. flip over the Polychronos, you can just have X equals 0 and pick up these two tokens for one mana. Um, (laughs) So if you're interested in cheesing people from, you know, flipping your poly K and then spending two mana to play, you know, two of these hydras from your hand, not pay any cost for them, make all these tokens attack with my six, six. Like, I mean, there's a, there's a world there, you know, and I, I just checked. There are 30 hydras that are legal in the pioneer format. Shivan Devastator, Miskar Hydra are probably the best ones on one mana that are like technically cards you can play in the main deck and not be too sad about it. There's also um, a Hydroid Crisis that is like a playable card. So I don't know. There's there's something there, I think. 
you could collect a company to like find your pelucranos oh. plus some zero zero <laughs> collect a company into a pair of zero zero hydras for value so in terms of the normal use of the card mono green plays og troll old growth troll and it's a pretty important card for them mostly because it's very hard to get rid of those devotion pips but it's also just hard to kill, right? Like, being at three mana puts it out of Fatal Push range. The fifth toughness on Pelucranos means you can't even use Obliterating Bolts, which mm-hmm. a lot of red decks, or specifically the Gruel Vehicles deck, uses. So you can play Pelucranos probably as an additional copy of the Old Growth Troll and just expect it to more or less live. And, you know, a Nykthos deck is very, very likely to get to the six. It becomes pretty easy to flip this when you have nothing else going on, whereas Old Growth Troll just sort of sits there in the same situation. So it's, a, it's an interesting card. I don't know if I would actually build around it, but not bad. And kind of like we talked about earlier with the battles, like if you care about winning battles, you need to have things on the board that interact well in combat and four or five on attacking on turn four. That's the best thing on the battlefield. I promise. Like there's, there's not a creature with a, you know, enter the battlefield effect that can even, you know, block the polychronos and be excited you know so that's um definitely something to kind of keep in mind all right our next card is maybe my favorite one so far from the set (laughs) i freaking love this card lawson it's the chrome host seed shark the phyrexian shark nato two and a blue phyrexian shark two four flying whenever you cast a non-creature spell Incubate X, where X is that spell's mana value. So we talked about Incubate and we gave reference to these cards that Incubate for 2 or Incubate for 3, but this is Incubate X. So I have my Seed Shark down and I play any other spell. Treasure Cruise comes to mind, but it doesn't have to be Treasure Cruise. It checks the mana value of that card and gives me an Incubator token with 8, in the Treasure Cruise examples, 8 plus 1 plus 1 counters on it. You can transform that into an actual creature at instant speed whenever you want sometime later. So we, we talked with Mord about like where do these incubator tokens rank on the game objects scale. And to me, they're like slightly more exciting than clues. But on, on a card like Seed Shark, they are way more exciting than clues. I'm extremely excited for this. This is the card that I'm most excited about in the entire set. Um, yes, yes. This- this one, I am so excited to play. I I know I have been on this podcast and already talked about this card called Shining Shoal, um, mm-hmm. but cards with X in the mana cost um, are pretty exciting with this card. The other thing that I think is really cool about this kind of effect is um, this is randomly a like, Monastery Mentor-esque effect that plays incredibly well with Wrath of God effects. Yes. Because the tokens um, aren't actually creatures when the wrath happens. I I did brew around with this card a little bit in theory crafting um, with a card called Sun Scour. I don't know if you know of this card off the top of your head. <laughs> oh, God. It's the uh, it's the cold snap white double pitch spell. Um, so it's in the same cycle as um, Avalanche Riders and Commandeer, but it's actual factual Wrath of God. Um, but you have to pitch two white cards in addition to casting it, but it does cost seven. So in a in magical dreamland world, you can go uh, turn three to fairy time raveler, bounce your opponent's creature, turn four 
Chromecast um, Seed Shark plus the Teferi. And then when your opponent goes to interact and deal with your board, you can, at the end of your opponent's turn, Sun Scour, blow up the board, get a 7 7 uh, incubated egg. And then on your turn, since they've got nothing in play, flip the egg and get to, get to work. So, very, very excited about this guy. So, Shining Shul, Seed Shark, we're going to see it. Oh yes, yes, we're gonna we're gonna see it a lot. Maybe not in the five O deck dump, but definitely in the deck list gallery. So join join the the podcast so you can see terrible, terrible four one and three twos. I think this card is way way better than most people think. <laughs> you know, Shark Typhoon comes up a lot in conversation with this just because of the flavor callback. But Shark Typhoon, you know, that's like a late game play. This will just win the game on turn four. What do I mean? I just play this on turn four. And I cast a murderous cut, and I've won the game. This, this is my thesis statement. Like, the game is over at that point. I have a 5-5 five, five incubator token, and I've just added a 2-4 and killed their biggest threat. How are they going to come back from that? This is just like the, the base use case of the card, right? You don't need to get the most outlandish thing you can think of, right? It doesn't have to be Treasure Cruise if you're thinking Treasure Cruise is too vulnerable. If you're thinking, I just want to do normal stuff, right? Maybe a Metallic Rebuke, right? A Metallic Rebuke defends the Siege Shark and makes a 3-3 token. And these incubators can happily improvise future Metallic Rebukes. We've talked on this podcast about the Third Path Iconoclast and how those tokens being artifacts comes up a lot, right? We built a pretty slick deck with Galazeth Prismari. Siege Shark fits right into that, and it's like better than Third Path, I think. Um, although they both do a great job of supporting the uh, improvised slash Galazeth shell. It works beautifully with Tezzeret, the uh, Betrayer of Flesh. You play a Seed Shark. It's not that easy to kill this on turn three, so let's just assume it lived. I'm talking about Pioneer here again. Tezzeret comes down, you get a 4-4 Incubator. The static text of Tezzeret allows you to immediately flip that into a 4-4 creature, and if you want, you can minus two the Tezzeret to turn that into an 8-8 Shark, or Phyrexian Germ. This is just example plays, right? We haven't even gotten into my convoke shell ideas yet <laughs> the the omen hawker into the seed shark into the convoke temporal whatever that thing was that's just pioneer i'm i'm extremely encouraged to hear you looking at this in modern lawson extremely encouraged yeah no i think i think this card will be super super sweet i also uh anytime i see a card like this it does make me think about um time warp nonsense for a second this, this is just like a thing that you can play early game and it really um, gives you a lot of um, reasons to get excited about playing, you know, big clunky four and five mana cost uh, instants and sorceries um, and actually yes. plays specifically well with time warp. So it is insanely good with time warp or any equivalent effect, right? Allerun's Epiphany is a card we use in Pioneer in that Galazeth deck. But if you're in modern... The fact that the Chrome Host Seed Shark just checks the actual mana value. So if you Miracle, what is the Miracle called? Temporal Mastery. Right. You're paying two, you're getting an Incubate 7 off of that. In your extra turn, you can attack with the 7-7 seven, seven if you want, or just go again with extra turn. I do not think that it's that big of a cost to flip these Incubation spells. That's, that's kind of the, the premise of like the baseline assumption of why I think this card is so good. I could be wrong about that. Yeah, so I, I think that it really just matters how big the thing is. Like, um, I'm I'm willing to spend two mana to flip my six six incubation thing, um, because six six is huge kind of thing. You know, um, I'm yes. way less excited about Chrome Host Seed Shark if I'm you know playing it and then I'm 
now I will cast my ending, or, uh, my uh, expressive iteration, my thought sees in my lightning bolt. Your turn. Like that's that's not what I want to <laughs> do with this. You know, I I want to cheese people. I want to um, you know, I want to play this card and then the turn after it play like um, Teferi Hero of Dominaria. Draw a card, untap two lands, and now I can use those lands to you know activate it and make the five five. Like that's that is like a way more interesting thing to me than like playing this with efficient cards. Which, of course, you know, I love playing cards that are clunky and awkward and can get me killed. So, how much does the delve extra turn spell cost? It costs eleven, right? It costs so 11. eleven. Eleven, eleven <laughs> token that you get <laughs> off the seed shark. Super excited for this one. Super excited. All right, Lawson. I'm just looking ahead. I think we can finish the threes if we push on. We got a few more three drops. And that will leave David and I to just go through all the terrible, expensive four drops. I'm sure he's going to be so happy when I tell him. <laughs> <laughs> We've covered all the good stuff. And now he can try to sell me on the Kogla Titan Ape cards for the rest of the, the podcast. Moving on to the Halo Forager, a card that I thought was going to be one of the most exciting modern cards, but a lot more has come out since then. Do you like Halo Forager for modern? No. You don't like it? No, it's, okay. isn't it just Snapcaster Mage, but without Flash? And more expensive? Well, that depends. So it's one blue, black, fairy rogue, 3-1, flying, no flash. When Halo Forager enters the battlefield, you may pay X, and when you do, you may cast target instant or sorcery card with mana value X from a graveyard without paying its mana cost. If that spell will be put into a graveyard, exile it instead. So it's different from Snapcaster because it works with Crashing Footfalls, it works with Ancestral Vision, it works with Cascade, where you'll be playing these cards. So it's like a plausible card to just fit a couple of copies into an existing Rhinos deck, for example. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I completely missed that. And uh, also, it, it's not fair to me to make fun of this card for being just worse than Snapcast Mage because it does pitch to grief as well. Um, it does. You know, <laughs> and uh, th those are actual. OK, yeah, I'm, I'm a little more excited about this card now. Um, OK, yeah, I'm, I'm in. If you're actually going to spend mana on the spell you have to get back, it's a lot less exciting. So if the thing you're trying to rebuy costs one or two, then it's just like a hugely expensive play. And it's worse than Arcane Proxy, which was a major disappointment. But I noticed like an interesting deck, um, the Brewer deck Fade in 07 had put together like an as foretold Arcane Proxy deck with a bunch of stuff like Profane Tutors and Ancestral Visions and Footfalls. He might have even had the white one. Restore Balance something like that yeah and arcane proxy is terrible right? <laughs> but uh, halo forger is just like a much better card for, for that exact shell like there might be enough reasons now to like not just have to cascade every time but to allow yourself an alternate way to cast those free spells also worth noting that halo forger can take cards from the opponent's library so if you just need to cast their unholy heat you're, you're welcome to do so for four huh so it was a tricky little card, right? There's more to it than meets the eye, although Modern's a tough format to break into, so we'll see. All right. Do you think any of these next cards are good? The Invasion, the Ayara? Should we just skip those? I will talk about the Ayara for just a super quick second. I do think that this Ayara is actually kind of exciting, specifically in Modern, um, where you can sacrifice... Uh, because it doesn't say at sorcery speed, you can sacrifice the um, elementals, uh, which is kind of sweet. 
So you could play like Ayara on turn three, and then turn four you could um, play Fury, blow up some of your opponent's creatures, and then throw the Fury at them. They take five, you gain five. It blows up battles super easily, so I think there is something to this card. I'm not super interested in paying three to play it, and then five to flip it, and some life to get the backside, I think. I think that all of these things that want you to flip it to get the cool effect is like a little sketchy, but um, I do think the the front side of this card is um, got something. Ayara, Widow of the Realm, one black black legendary creature, elf noble, three three. Tap, sacrifice another creature or artifact. Ayara, Widow of the Realm, deals X damage to target opponent or battle, and you gain X life, where X is the sacrifice permanent mana value. You can transform Ayara for 5 and a red Phyrexian, activate at sorcery speed only, then it becomes Ayara Furnace Queen, the Phyrexian Elf Noble, 4-4 creature at the beginning of combat on your turn, return up to one target artifact or creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield, it gains haste, exile it at the beginning of the next end step. Look at you being a good podcast host and reading the cards and not assuming it's a visual media. Look at that. Yeah, I did not actually click that you could do this with a, a temporary creature like an Evoke Elemental. I mean, the ability is not terrible. It's just that uh, I'm talking about like a, a more normal normal deck now. <laughs> For a regular deck, the ability is not terrible, but this is a three mana creature without an ETB. So you, you kind of have to you have to boost these. You have to put Tyvar into the deck to like make this effect a little more attractive. Mm-hmm. And then you have to get paid off with making the X damage actually convert to something more tangible than just damage to them. So flipping mm. battles makes a lot of sense. Maybe something there, but it's an uphill battle for Ayara, I think. Tribute to the World Tree. Green, 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 enchantment. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card if its power is three or greater. Otherwise, if its power is not three or greater, put two plus one plus one counters on it. Um, I think this card is bad. I think it's bad, though, for kind of an awkward reason. And I think that reason is just that this is like, to me, it looks like it wants to go into exactly a deck that is playing cards similar um, that play well with like the Great Henge. And the cards like Tribute to the World Tree, awkwardly, I don't think give you enough of a reward for you to not be on board early game um, to get this thing in. So I think that it just doesn't find a home on the mana curve. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think you could have this thing cost two mana. I don't think that you can really add any more text to this card. I just think that kind of the the way that uh, effects like this have worked in Magic's history are theoretically they seem powerful, but, you know, finding a world where, you know, you can be grindy but not be adding to the board state um at this point is kind of not where magic is so i'm reading david's notes on the card he's thinking mainly about pioneer he's saying that the draw card text is a complete distraction and what's really broken about tribute to the world tree is what he calls the lord effect right putting two plus one plus one counters on all of your small creatures lions he's envisioning elf into tribute that's your first two turns now you're ready to play like a hanger back walker for one but it comes in with three counters because you get this bonus plus two counters sadly you can't play the hanger back on zero this that will not trigger it (laughs) or just like elf on turn one tribute on turn two 
Next, you play animation module followed by a second elf. The elf comes in with two plus one plus one counters that triggers the animation module multiple times. You can make some tokens and they will also get counters. Um, the plants from Nyssa become very, very big. This is again the three mana Nyssa that makes plants that is somehow the key to all of David's like, off the wall brutes. <laughs> Although the card has not proven itself yet. I mean, it's very cool. Like, I want to like this three mana's tough. Green, green, green is super tough. Yeah, and that, that's just kind of the awkward thing. It's like, there are there are worlds that I could see you do some kind of interesting things with the counters side, um, but that is not a mono green devotion deck. So if we're, we're having to jump through the hoops to have a green, green, green enchantment, uh, I, I do think we want Nykthos, but, you know. Not every deck can be a Nekthos deck. News at 11. For me, it's like the draw card is so enticing. We've spent so much time playing bad Kiora decks, and Kiora triggers on four power. There's a big break between three and four, and what I've found just like searching for three power creatures versus four power creatures. So I am wondering if there's something that unlocks with like this three mana version of the Kiora effect. Maybe that's the trap that David's warning me against. I'm not sure. <laughs> like, Wild the Kettle, drawing a card is not going to save my deck. We'll see. We'll see. Kiora also does something. Um, this card doesn't do anything. Um, you know, uh, otherwise, you know? Ouch. <laughs> All right. And our final card for this installment. A team-up. Baral and Karizev. This is a card that I've read like five or six times, and every time I was like, oh, this is maybe there's something here. No, 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 it's terrible. It's terrible. And on my sixth try, I think I finally figured out something to do with it. <laughs> it's one blue red legendary creature, human. Two four, first strike, menace. Whenever you cast your first instant or sorcery spell each turn, you may cast a spell with lesser mana value that shares a card type with it from your hand without paying its mana cost. If you don't do that, create First Mate Ragavan, a legendary 2-1 red monkey pirate creature token. The Ragavan gains haste until end of turn. So my confusion, and let me, let me just state this clearly, because I think a lot of people misread this card. The free casting of the spell has to match the card type of the spell you cast. So if you played an instant, you have to play an instant from your hand. If you played a sorcery, it can only cast a sorcery. The free card has to come from your hand. So it's not actually card advantage. It's just like a tempo play. Mm -hmm. So all of that together kind of makes me think that that part of the card just doesn't do anything. Like that's a complete trap. The other part that I misread for the first five times was that this Regavan is a permanent Regavan. And I did not really click on that. So I thought it was a temporary Regavan, like the original Karizev. But no, this, this Regavan, first mate Regavan, he's in it for the long haul. He's going to stay as long as you want, and then he's going to come back whenever he dies. And that may be the best use of the card when all is said and done. It's just two bodies, one of which keeps coming back. Yeah, um, I do think that is most likely going to be the most efficient thing you can do with this. It is also kind of cute the way that this card plays specifically with Ancestral Visions. Let's you, you know, get to play that card again. Um from your hand for, you know, very cheap. It is a little awkward that a lot of the ways to basically play a um, free spell 
on turn three, basically as you play Brawling Carry Zev, uh, are not sorceries. Um, you know, you can't like Brawling Carry Zev and then gut shot your opponent's creature and then, okay, cool, now I'll play my, you know, um, Ancestral Visions gut shot since it's an instant, it can only play instants. So it won't actually work out that well for you. You you can play Noxious Revival if you really want to Phyrexian um, Sorcery, but other than that, you will just ha- kind of have to wait. So I, th- I think that's an instant too, actually. Oh, oh my god! So there's just nothing. Okay, well, um, nothing. I'll, I'll I'll come back. So I I do think that this card is not super good for cheating stuff in. It is kind of cute that you can get dies triggers because the Ragavans are legendary. So if you cast multiple spells in one turn, you can make a Ragavan and then make a Ragavan and then make a Ragavan and then make a Ragavan. And And now your opponents uh, have taken three damage from your Blood Artist. But I don't know what deck is playing Carry Zev and Instance and Blood Artist and all of that. So You can only do that once a turn, sadly, because this only triggers once a turn. So it's a very restricted card. (laughs) Like... Every path you think you're going to go down, it's like, oh, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. Just make the monkey. That's it. Make the monkey and have four or five with some stats split across two bodies. Mm-hmm. And if that's good enough for you, then you'll be happy with Baral and Karizab. <laughs> if not, you will not be happy with this. So perhaps more of a cautionary tale than anything else, but it's an interesting set of stats on, on a kind of a weird, is it attacking creature? All right, Lawson, so those are the three drops that stood out to me. Am I missing anything? The only three drop that I would bring up um, that we kind of skipped over was specifically um, a white invasion, invasion of Dominaria. Uh, White and two, battle siege, um, enters the battlefield, you gain four life and draw a card, and then the backside is just a straight-up Sarah Angel. I think that this is kind of the, like, as grindy of a siege as you could find for a control deck. Hmm. And it plays well specifically with bolt, snap, bolt kind of things. So you could um, play Invasion of Dominaria on turn three, and then turn four, you could bolt your opponent's blocker, snap, cast, and rage, bolt the invasion, and then go to combat and attack the invasion. So if that means anything in the world to you, then that's kind of exciting, but. So you would have to commit three mana and sorcery speed for this gain for a draw card. I don't know. I mean, that's not that much worse than just playing to fairy time reveler. Mm-hmm. If I'm in a control shell, I guess there's often opportunities to like get one hit in with a hollow storm giants, but it's like not worth it to do so. And maybe this changes the equation. Like you can actually unlock the, the Sarah faith keeper when you do that. I don't know. Yeah, and it gets it gets better if you're willing to, you know, play cards like Faladar Guardian, or if you're willing to play things like Flicker Wisp. Um, I think that is, you know, moving down a slightly different route than a pure control deck, but this is one of the few battle cards that lets you kind of go a little bit more into the late game. So, I don't know. Something to kind of look at. So if there's like a slow, in Pioneer, for example, a slow Yorian battle deck, where you're just trying to loop battles with Yorian. Mm-hmm. This would help get you there. Right? Maybe you play this, maybe you play the, the four mana one that double rampant growths. Um, maybe you play it's just a selection of two mana ones for defense. Yeah. Something there. I don't know how much though. All right. We've made it through the three mana cards previous so far. 
<laughs> this set is extremely dense. It's extremely rich. I'm super excited for it. Lawson, thanks so much for coming on and helping us think through some of these cards. Absolutely. Um, I'm super, super excited for this. Uh, it in many ways feels like one of the more complicated uh, standard level sets um, that has uh, come out in quite a while. I I think the, the cards that are most exciting to kind of grow around are the, the Seed Shark, um, the Invasion of Kaldaheim that y'all will talk about next time, and then um, Evasion of Akoria. I think you guys are like kind of sleeping on the fact that, yes, the just grabbing um, Hex Mage and having this thing come into play is nuts, but um, I, will, I, I, I will prove that, and I will post many uh, bingo-esque snapshots in the Discord, so don't, don't worry. It'll be there. But four mana, eight eights. You're going to go for it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right, there's a lot to look forward to. I can't wait. So we will be back later this week to finish up the set review. David will be back on the show, hopefully, and we will talk about these expensive cards we haven't even gotten to half of the legendary team-ups so we'll get to all that um, and anything else that gets previewed in the next couple of days but thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time this concludes part two of our brewer's guide to march of the machine tune in next time for the final installment and our top picks for modern and pioneer if you enjoyed this podcast please let us know leave us a review in your podcast app and visit patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing to join our Discord community and help support the show. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.